All right. We are still in Ephesians. We just started Ephesians. I shouldn't say still. So we're going to be doing Ephesians, like I said, for the whole semester. Uh, we are in a portion of Ephesians 1. It's really before Paul gets to uh, any major point that he has directed at the church in Ephesus. Right now, he's basically said hello, and then he just exploded into this uh, just ridiculous overflow of worship to the Trinity. Um, and I say that specifically worship to the Trinity instead of worship to God, specifically because what we see in these verses, uh, th- verse 3 to 14, what we see is God, uh, Paul praising the Father, praising the Son, praising the Spirit for all three of their work together um, in the salvation of men and, and then also for the culmination of all things in Christ. Uh, so that means a lot. And tonight we're going to be, man, we're going to be really big picture. We're going to be looking real big picture tonight. Last week's sermon, this week's sermon, next week's sermon, um, they all go together. So if you weren't here last week, I would say uh, try to hop online and get last week's sermon. It really lays a foundation for this week, and this week sort of lays a foundation for next week, specifically because of this point that we really hashed out last week. And that point specifically is... Uh, we talk about being in relationship with God. We talk about how Jesus died to put us in a relationship with God. Um, and, and I asked very gently last week, okay, what, what does that relationship look like in your life? If we really talk about that the death of Jesus, that, that God co- becomes a man, God, God puts on flesh, becomes a man so that he can die on a cross for humanity, uh, he does that, and, and, and then we say that that fundamentally is because he wants relationship with us, um, and then we just very gently put that out, what is your relationship with him like? What's it like? Is it there? Um, and, and so we really need to hash out, like I said last week, what we're going to do the, the last week, this week, and next week is hash out something very specific. You've not just been called into relationship with, with God in general. You've been called into relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we talked about what does intimacy with God look like. It looks like knowledge of and trust in all three members of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, and then we get confused and jumbled up and what that means and what that looks like and what that's about. Uh, it fractures our relationship with God. Uh, and so this week we're going to land on the Son. Last week we looked at the Father and we hashed out about the Father, how it was His will and His design and His plan to send Christ so that He could make us humans holy and blameless in His sight and adopt us into His family. And so we looked at how that was the plan of God from the beginning, and we looked at how it was the will of the Father. We really looked at the heart of the Father in His love for humanity, um, in His love for His Son to, to send His Son to do this. And this is something the Trinity planned to do before everything fell apart in chapter 2 of, the, of, of this book, right? And we really hashed out the Father. And then tonight we're going to land on the Son. I'm going to read through this text about the Son uh, here in just a second, but tonight... I think we I think we think we know about the Son uh, because we're so familiar with Jesus. Like we're so familiar with Jesus. And let me put it this way: um, 
we have this view that the purpose of Jesus is to die on a cross so that I go to heaven. Like if I was going to go up to most people, why did Jesus come, right? And if you are semi-Christian, the first thing you're going to run to is, okay, Jesus died on the cross so that I go to heaven. Um, and while it's not wrong, like it's, of course it's not wrong. Um, well, I've said this before. It, it's so little of the story. And, and I heard this when I was growing up. I heard this when I was growing up. I heard, um, even if you were the only person on the planet, Jesus would still have come and died on the cross for you. So you should... Say a prayer, and then you say this prayer, and now you'll go to heaven. Don't worry about a thing. Life's going to be gravy, and then you'll go to heaven. Um, And so we build up this image of Jesus. We build up this image of Jesus that's so centered around humanity and so centered around what humans are doing and what Jesus has done for humans. Again, it's not wrong. It's good and beautiful and right, but it's so centered around what Jesus has done for humanity that it completely negates the role of Jesus in history and the work of God in history as if God has not been doing anything up until the point where Jesus dies on a cross and then all He's doing now is wishing that you would pray a prayer so that you can go to heaven one day and kind of hoping you would be good. Like he sits up there and he's like, man, I hope they'd be good. But it's fine. Jesus is there and then when they die, they'll come to heaven, right? Like we got this, this, this is our picture of the narrative. This is our picture of what God is doing is something very, it's, it's a bit shallow. It's not quite deep enough. It doesn't really give Jesus, uh, the son, uh, credit for all that he has been doing in history and is going to do in the future. So we sort of take salvation out of the narrative, we make it really shallow. And then that results on really shallow reasons for becoming a Christian, which is so I can go to heaven, or really shallows for, shallow reasons for not becoming a Christian, which is, well, I, I don't want to be good now, so I'm going to do this college thing, right? Have fun. And because really all God wants for me to be good, right? So I'll do that. But I'm going to wait till after I get done with college, and then I'll just, right, say the prayer, give my life to Jesus, and I'll go to heaven when I die, right? And I'll be good after that. And so in our minds, this whole thing is about going to heaven and being good. But college is kind of fun, and you've seen movies about what college would be like, what like frat parties would be like, and what it would be like waking up where you don't know where you are, and you don't know you got there, and you saw that on, I don't know, Hangover. And then you're like, oh, this is going to be a good time in college. So I'm going to wait on, you know, Jesus can wait, and he's patient, right? He's cool. Um, right? He's a hippie, and so he's going to be fine with all that sort of thing. Right? So we have this image of Jesus that's really sort of, like, who is this guy? So I want to hop into Ephesians, and I really want to pull out. So like I said, we're going to be super big picture tonight. I want to draw. I like to, ooh, I like to have a whiteboard. Can you all see? Y'all can see this just fine, right? Okay. I want to hash out a little bit what we talked about last week, and it's going to, it's going to lay the foundation for this week. So um, where do we start? This is where we start. Okay. Let's just read. Let's just read, and then we'll jump in. Sorry. Let's just read. All right. I'm sorry. All over the place. Okay. And you know what I want to do? I want to read this whole thing as a chunk. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit thing as a chunk together. And then I'll show you. What you're going to notice when I read this whole thing is we sort, of, we sort of break this thing up into three sections because at the end of the section about the Father, it says to the praise of His glorious grace. Um, when it ends the section about the Son, it says again to the praise of His glorious grace. And then when we get to the end of the part about the Spirit, same thing, to the praise of His glory. So we get this to the praise of His glory about the Father, to the praise of His glory about the Son. But you're going to see they're all mixed together. It's not just about the Father, just about the Son, just about the Spirit. They're, they're a Trinitarian being. They're, they're one 
one God who is three persons, right? And then the more we try to explain and hash that out, we're just like lost. It doesn't really make sense. But we get the Bible affirming that there's this one God and three persons. And so the way that this works out is while one person is acting, he's not acting alone and he's acting in tandem with the other two members of the Trinity and they have something going on. So you're going to see that play. I will just read the whole thing. Uh, Three and we're going to go all the way to 14. Uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. Close section about the Father with which he has, he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption, talking about Jesus, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, the Father's will, according to the Father's purpose. And the Father set forth this purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him, Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Close the section about Jesus. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, Jesus, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Close the section about all three. Right, so you see why I need a whiteboard, right? right we follow like 3% of that. It's fine. It's good. We're going to unpack it. Um, so particularly, we're going to unpack verses 7 to 12 tonight. So last week, we talked about the, the, the primacy or the importance of the relationship that we've been called into. Um, and I think we, we, because we're not really familiar with the Pentateuch, we're not really familiar with the Old Testament, we're not really familiar with all that God's been doing, we sort of make this relationship just about this very shallow thing that me and God have an understanding about. Like I talk to him occasionally when things go bad, I'm like, hey God, this is going bad and we need to do something about this. Right? So this relationship thing is not that, it's not that weighty to us. It has no gravity. Okay, so I want to, I want to, I want to lace this idea of relationship properly in scripture okay so it it goes like this all right in in the beginning we have we have god who is father son holy spirit and so what we understand from colossians and other places that these beings are spiritual these beings this being who is three persons is spiritual not physical right so i'm going to write spiritual in here spiritual beings not physical. Everything, everything that the Father does moves according to His will. That's what this line means. Right? Everything that the Father does, everything that God plans, sets forth, wills, moves forward without hindrance according to His will. Right? So one of the things that we see when you read Genesis 1 is that this God begins creating. If you don't know, that's the earth. It's purple. Right? God creates this physical realm. So in the beginning, God created the heavens, spiritual, and the earth, physical, right? So I'm going to draw. Physical. 
Physical, right? He creates this physical realm. Okay, and then the culmination of the physical realm is a stick figure. Adam, right? And then what we see, oop, let's get rid of that. And it's Eve, right? They're happy, even though they're not smiling. They're happy. The creation of humanity, and what it says, right? Man and woman, unlike everything else in this realm, everything else here, these beings are created in the image of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're not created after the likeness of anything else on the earth. These are physical beings that are in some way spiritual, right? So they become, they become the means by which God, who is spirit, brings his will, his kingdom, his power, his character to the earth. So when I talk about relationship, what I mean is this, is that these beings exist in a relationship and they are bringing the way that this being is, his mercy, his goodness, his life, they are bringing this life and um, and goodness and, and the way that the fundamental reality in existence works, the way that the fundamental reality is, the fundamental reality being the spiritual realm, they bring that to the physical realm and as if they translate it to the physical realm. So in my image you were created, man and woman in, uh, in the image of God they're created. So now in that image have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the earth. Breathe fruitful, multiply, have dominion over the earth in the physical realm. So in this dominion what they're doing is bringing the way and the will. They're in so much connection with God that they bring his will, his kingdom, his mercy. Everything that God is is being translated into the physical realm by his, we call it vice regents, by his under, like underlords, if you even want to say that, but it's through humanity that the will of God moves forward on the earth. He didn't have to do it that way, but that's the way he did it. He didn't have to do it that way, but that's the way he did it. He chose to make us the link in the chain. Okay? So when I talk about relationship, that's what I mean. I talk about a deep knowledge of a deep trust in the deep interaction with to the degree so what we see is God puts these beings in a garden which is, is a nice tree it has fruit what you see in Genesis 2 is that this is really weird that nothing else on the earth it's not that the whole earth was the garden of Eden The whole earth was the whole earth and the garden of Eden was planted and then humanity was placed in the garden to be fruitful, multiply, and then fill the earth and subdue it. Basically, to spread, so if this is the garden, have some babies and push the garden out. And they'll have babies. And they'll have babies. In relationship, push, bring order and life. Bring order and life. In relationship, bring order and life. What we get is Father, Son, Holy Spirit created order and gave life. Now you, because you're in the image, in relationship, bring order and life. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Have dominion with the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the things that crawl on the ground. Right. So what we get then is this really 
insanely important mandate, this insanely important cultural mandate to go and bring the way of the kingdom to the earth. And then really quickly in the third chapter, so men reject this. Men reject this relationship. So what does that mean? Does that mean we don't get to do this anymore? No, that means we still have to do this. But instead of bringing order and life, we bring disorder and death. So keep reading Genesis 3, Genesis 4, Genesis 5, Genesis 6. It goes from Cain killing his brother to the descendants of Cain killing some, some little kid. He's got two wives and he kills some little kid and he's bragging to his two wives about killing some kid. And the guy's like, I'm going to have unending mercy. It's like, good Lord, this guy's crazy. And then the very next story is uh, now the wickedness had spread all over the earth and God was so grieved that he sent a flood over the planet. Right, so this goes downhill really fast because when we were supposed to bring order and life, we rejected the relationship from which the life comes and now all we can do is bring disorder and death. And so went humanity bringing disorder and death. So what does God do? What does God do? What's his response to that? So two things stand in the way of God. Two things need to be accounted for so God can bring humans back into this. Because his thing is not, let's jump in and just make this happen. It's like, let's restore humanity and let humanity do what humanity was made to do. Right? Two things stand in the way of that. We're going to write them out. This is scary. The first thing that stands in the way of God being able to redeem his creation is the fact that he is a good, righteous, perfect, holy being. And that the rebellion against him is not something that he's like, eh, oh well, let's, yeah, that's fine. He's good, completely good, completely perfect, completely holy. If he is all these things, then any transgression against him cannot just be sort of like, eh, oh well, they'll figure it out later or something. And, and so to us, that seems like, God, this guy's harsh, or at least to me. And then, and then I have to put this in, I have to put this in, in our, maybe our story, our language. Uh, it, put it this way. If you have a judge and a man is brought before this judge, let's say he's raped a few women, killed a few people, Right? He has brought disorder and death. Right? He's done that. And the judge looks at him and says, now you promise not to do that again? And the guy's like, yeah, I promise. And the judge is like, okay. He promised. He's fine. He can go. Okay, would any of us look at that judge and say, God, what a gracious guy. No, we'd look at that judge and be like, you are a crappy judge. Like we would call people and get this guy kicked out and taken care of because there's something deep inside of us made in the image of God that need to see justice meted out. We need to see something like that meted out. We can't just let injustice run rampant. It actually does something in us that we don't like. The only time we're okay with it is when it's us. When I'm the one who's in the place of receiving the justice, then I'm like, nah, bro, you're being a little harsh. Right, But it, it, looking from the outside, if God is good and just, He can't just say, oh, Adam and Eve, 
You brought a terrible amount of pain and death and destruction to the planet, and you didn't have to. You're fine. You can go. Just don't do it again. Like, oh, you, you see what I'm saying? If he's going to be good, if he's going to be good, then this, the, the sin of Adam and Eve, the sin of humanity, stands in between humanity and God. If God is to remain good, judgment stands, right? And then, I don't, like, I really, we can call it this. I don't, I, it's like a, I have a hard I have, a, I have a difficult time coming up with a great way other than just say, like, you know this and you felt it. Okay, that thing in us. How, okay, when we talk about it, we say that, you know, nobody's perfect. We say that phrase, eh, nobody's perfect. You make a mistake and you say nobody's perfect. So here I put the curse of sin hard-hearted. So what I want to see, is, is that good? That may be a good, a good explanation. We're, the thing in us that makes humanity not able to be perfect. Does that make sense? So we, we say that phrase a lot. Like you mess up, you're like, ah, nobody's perfect. Why is that accepted, right? It's accepted because we know it to be true that no one on the planet is perfect. And then my question is, why is it, why is it that no one on the planet is perfect? Because there's something in humanity that is at the root and fundamental level flawed. There's something in humanity that at the root and fundamental seeks its own interests at the, at the cost of other people. There's something in humanity that's just not right and not good. And so call it the curse of sin. We can call it hard hardness. We can call it whatever it is. You can call it that if God were to lay out everything that he would want you to do, it would be impossible for you to do it. So even if you decided, I want to do everything that God says for me to do, you'd be impossible to do it because there's something in all of us that just won't. And we can call it whatever you like, the curse of sin. That's fine. When I say the curse of sin, I mean the fact that we have to sin. Like we have to. It's weird. But there's something in us that, like, as much as I want, every single one of you has come to a place in your life where you've done something you didn't want to do and you decided I'm never going to do that again and every single one of you like four days later did that exact same thing again as much as you hated and didn't want to you did that's the thing that's what I'm talking about these two things that stand in the way of this playing itself out the judgment concerning humanity and the curse that even if the ledger was cleared the very next moment I would walk and muddy up the ledger again. I would do the exact same thing over again. That in me, that, that in me is something that wants to do wrong. And it's different in all of us, but it's the same in all of us. So then what's God's answer, right? What's God's answer? And if you grew up in church, you'd be like, Jesus! And you'd be, you'd be sort of right. Right? You'd be sort of right. But it's, it's so small, right? But we'll get there. God begins coming to earth and making promises to humans. It's his first step. Comes to a guy named Abraham and he's like, I'm going to make a nation out of you and then from that nation, I'm going to bless the whole world. That's really all he says. I'm like, what, what does that mean? All right, and then the next step is this nation is created. This promise made to Abraham happens. This nation is created. And then God comes to this nation and says, you're my people. You're my people. And he sets out a covenant in which to interact with them. 
He sets out a way that they need to interact with him. And what you see in the interaction with him, there's the law. So this is what we call Mosaic law. This is the laws in Leviticus. This is the Ten Commandments are in there. This is what God gave to Moses regarding how the people of Israel need to interact with God. And what you're going to see is both of these are taken account for inside of that law. But they can't fix these things. They only take them into account. So what you're going to see, I'm just, and this is a simple way of hashing this out. There's a thousand ways we could hash this out. But what you see in the way that the Jews worship and the way that the Israelites worshiped is part of what they have to do is when they want to approach the temple of God when they want to approach the temple and they come into the presence of God and interact with him there's two things they have to do first they have to take an animal and slit its throat and bleed it out right it's beautiful right right like what if we had to do that before you came in what if I was like at the door I was like no did you bring a pigeon something because we're gonna have to kill it right here right so I'm running out of room. Blood. That's the best way to put that. God, in his interaction with his people, the first thing when you enter the courts of the temple is blood. It's God literally saying, I want to be in relationship with you, but we are not cool right now. There's something that stands against you. There's something that stands against you. And I have made a way for us to interact because I don't want what stands between us standing between us anymore. But we're going to interact. But I don't want you to forget that I haven't, I don't want you to forget that I haven't forgotten. Humanity is guilty. So every interaction requires blood. So it's, it's as God, it's basically God saying like, hey, don't forget this is still broken and it's not fixed yet. It's not fixed yet. And then the next thing they'd have to do is after they had this sweet little time killing an animal, they would have to cleanse themselves. Water. Kill this animal. They would go to a basin. Ritual cleansing. I'm unclean before you. I recognize my uncleanliness before you, God. I cleanse myself now ritually as in recognition of that. And even still, they can't go into the presence of God. They have to hang around outside. They couldn't even go in the temple. It's like if I said to do that, and then I was like, no, no, you can't really even come inside. You can hang around the property. Right. And that was, that's what they call the old covenant. That's what they call the Mosaic covenant. The means by which God interacted with his people, but it was still... These things had not been taken care of. And so I'm going to read something real, real, real quick. You don't even need to go there. It should be up on the screen. After Israel has left God again and they have just done terrible things in their nation, worshiping other gods, killing children, uh, before other gods, um, oppressing the poor, all of this crazy stuff has happened. And then... You get God speaking through Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31. And this is what God says. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Not like this covenant. Not like this covenant, right? Um, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts, right? Not this anymore. I will take my law and I'll write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This again, relationship, like unbroken, right? They will be my God and, my, and, and I'll be their, uh, 
I will be their God, they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. Like you don't, you won't need me anymore, right? You won't need some guy being like, hey, this is what God's like because this relationship will be so, so intact that you won't need someone telling you about God. The relationship will be so tight. Okay, and then um, this, this last part. They shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So he just says this over the nation of Israel. Behold, the days are coming. It's not here yet. Behold, the days are coming. When I'm going to make this happen, the new covenant, right? So, if you remember the story, the night before Jesus is crucified, he has dinner with his people. Um, and the Michelangelo painting, they're all on one side of the table. That's fine. But they have dinner. And he raises this cup up and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. So, where it used to be goats and pigeons and cows, it's the blood of the Son of God. And not over and over and over and over, but once. Right. So let's, I'm going to read this part in Ephesians again. I think it'll, it'll click into place a little better. So we'll start in verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. My God, it's like that story I was saying. Like, what if the judge, instead of saying, hey, you promised not to do it again? All right, you can go. What if he looks him in the face and he's like, whatever is required of you, I'll pay. Whatever is required of you. Like, you're guilty, bro. You're guilty. And there will be punishment. But what if I pay it for you? That's what the judge does. He comes and he says, how about my blood for his? So the new covenant is the fabric. The fabric of our relationship with God is fundamentally changed. Everything about our relationship with God is fundamentally changed. This is so foreign to us now because of how powerful the blood of Jesus is. We almost take it for granted that we can walk through the doors and we don't have to kill an animal before we come in. We almost take it for granted, right? But it's because the blood of the Son of God was shed for this, right? To make this go away. This no longer stands between us. All that was due to us has been paid for. And then I think the problem is if we stop there, we miss out on all that Jesus is really doing in history. This is where it gets weird. Read this. Right, start in verse 8. So the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ. Here's where it gets weird. Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. 
What does that mean? Right? Well, let's read it again. It gets weirder the second time. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. So, in our minds, I think, is this, is this, like I said, this partially true story. We have this partially true story that Jesus died on the cross. The blood of Jesus washes clean. And something really just extra, just because it's there, when the, when, when the guard went up and poked Jesus in his side, right, to make sure that he was dead, do you remember what flowed out of him? Right, blood and water. It's basically saying the end of this system. Right, the, all the blood and water has been put forward. You don't need to clean yourself anymore and you don't need any sort of sacrifice anymore. You need no sacrifice to come up in front of God. You need no sacrifice to come up in front of the Father. You don't need to make yourself look clean and make yourself look good. Come dirty and filthy and gross and let the Father by the blood of His Son clean you up and clothe you in His Son's righteousness. That's what He's talking about. Redemption. It's adoption has happened because of the work of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. It is the blood of Jesus, not my own own work that makes me acceptable to God. All I have when I stand in front of God is I know that you hear me and I know that you love me, not because I'm good, I suck, but because of the blood of Jesus, you have made me into something that is beautiful and you are making me into something that is beautiful. You're making me into your son, right? So it says redemption, that's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about is redemption. And then it gets beautiful. That's beautiful. And then it gets crazy beautiful. It's the, uni- the unification of all things in heaven and earth. It's the full restoration of this relationship and the playing out of this purpose. So we have in our minds, and I don't know if you have this in your mind or what. I'm not sure when you think about the future what plays out. But if you're confident that you have trusted Jesus and that you're saved or whatever we're going to call it, what might be crossing your mind most of the time is in, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven and I'm not going to go to hell and that's going to be super awesome, right? That is really devoid of the biblical story. The biblical story is quite different the way the biblical story plays out is there are there are people who are saved and people who are not saved and they both die and then comes a day when jesus returns but this time he doesn't roll in in a manger as a baby he comes in uh, like with tattoos on his legs that say king of kings and lord of lords and he's riding on this crazy horse and apparently he has a sword coming out of his mouth to strike down the nations it's like who is this guy right he's crazy but the 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 role of jesus is to sum up all things in himself so exactly what this means is this is that jesus comes Jesus comes a second time, the first time he came to bring mercy and forgiveness to every single person that realizes that this stands against them and they have nothing that they can do. And so Jesus says, you realize this stands against you and you realize there's nothing you can do here. You are not good and there's no way that you can fix it. Like there's, there's, you're not good. There's no way that you can fix it. All you got to do is accept me, have faith in me, believe in me and trust me and I will take care of you, protect you, everything. That, that's how mercy is administered. Not for everybody who tries hard and is good or whatever it's administered by just belief and faith and trust in jesus and jesus alone and so the first time he comes says this is open this is open come and receive mercy come and receive mercy because the day is coming when i'm going to set all of this right and this is what happens whenever we were in this broken state and like i said all we did was cultivate death and disorder on the earth there is something in us that needs that to be set right and so jesus says yes I am coming to set that right. I am coming to do away with all pain, all crying, all tears, all sin. Everything on the earth is going to be set right and made right. 
So the thing about Christianity is not that you die and escape the earth. No, this is still trying to be played out. Relationship with God that results in humanity bringing the will of God to the earth. Right? So I'm just gonna, let's just read, read something real quick. And you don't have to go there. It's going to be on the screen also. But let's read the end of the story real quick. Revelation 21, uh, we'll go verse 5, 1 to 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. The way this plays out is that the day that Jesus returns, he resurrects the dead, and everyone is recompensed, everyone is judged according to every thought, every deed, every intention, every, what is it, every foolish thing that anyone has ever said is brought to account before humanity. Right, so that Jesus comes to take care of business, right? He comes to set all of this right. All the stuff that we've sort of messed up, all the pain, all the crying, everything that humanity did to screw this place up, all the death that we brought to this place, Jesus comes down and is going to get rid of it all. The only problem is like that sounds right and good and wonderful, except for the fact that sin resides in the human heart. And for all of those who have not been received mercy and said, I am in no place to fix myself and I receive mercy, God, I I sit underneath Jesus and everyone who has not done that. So this is why the Old Testament called this day, the Revelation 21, this is why they called this the great and terrible day of the Lord. It is wonderful because everything is set right. It is terrible because everything is set right. It's terrible. People that we love and cherish, that we're close to, that refuse this, right? This is scary. It's heavy, right? It's biblical. That Jesus comes to set all things right. And He does that by the removal of all of the wickedness on the earth. All men are brought before God. Everyone is resurrected. So the only place that heaven plays in this sort of story is it's sort of the place you go to until you're resurrected in your body. Like the afterlife is you with a body on this earth. And those who have been covered by the blood of Jesus will have God come down and prepare this place once again and God will dwell with His people There will be no more struggle with lust 
that you just can't beat. There'll be no more struggle with depression. There'll be no more struggle with accusatory thoughts. There'll be no more struggle with eating disorders. There'll be no more struggle with like the relationships that just won't get right and they cause so much pain and strife in your life. Like this is what he's saying. I'm behold, I'm making all things new that the work of Jesus is one to forgive, is one to bring mercy, and then to come a second time and set it right so that humans dwell with their God once again. Right? That's how the story plays itself out. And it is beautiful and wonderful and great and terrible. It's heavy. And so the role of the Son, the role of the Son is one His blood is shed for humanity so that every approach you have to God the Father is one of confidence and one of trust. I can come before you without a pigeon or without cleaning myself up because the blood of Jesus clothes, uh, the, the blood of Jesus has washed me clean and His life is wrapped around me like a garment and the Father sees me as He sees His own Son. That's beautiful. The role of the Son is to come a second time and to cleanse the earth. And those who have received mercy will find life and they will see Him face to face and will drop all this baggage. Will drop all this baggage. It is wonderful and crazy. To invest humanity, the role of the Son, to invest humanity with His authority that He had on the earth so they can be all that He uh, wills for them to do and to be. So that this relationship can begin again in relationship with God even before the second coming of Jesus come, even before that, that I'm in this relationship and I'm receiving from the Father His love, His will, His guidance. I'm receiving from the Son forgiveness, forgiveness. And then what we'll get into next week is the role of the Holy Spirit to lead me according to the will of God on the earth until He makes all things new and all things right. And so I would say we just need an intentional way to hash this out. Intentional application like we did last week. I think we get stuck in the middle of realizing things about God or maybe realizing what the Bible says or realizing some things. And we sort of stay in this midway where we don't really know how God feels about us and we're not quite confident in anything. And so what I would really quickly, really quickly say is um, if anything tonight sort of pricks your heart or if anything tonight sort of maybe even rubbed you the wrong way and made you a little angry, yeah, that's cool. Um, The point of this is is that we come before the Lord and we come to Him and we intentionally have a conversation with Him. And if that's just going to place that you've never come to the place where you received the forgiveness of Jesus... You never received the forgiveness of Jesus. You never told God in heaven, I believe that Jesus was who He said He was. I submit myself to Him. Father, let His blood cover me and I stand before You clean. If you've never done that and you're sort of in this I'm a Christian because I was raised in America thing, okay, that doesn't make sense. It's time to be intentional about that and to come before Him and say, Everything that I've ever done and will do ever has been washed clean by the blood of the Son of God and I sit underneath that and worship You in light of that and submit myself to You. Intentionally receive that forgiveness. And then I would say, 
Secondly, this will of God is playing itself out in history and will play itself out in history. He has called us to be a part of that. He has called us to find life and then bring life to the earth. I don't know what your daily life is like. Is your daily life one of bringing life to this planet or is it one of you trying to find life in the creation and you're sucking the people around you dry of their life and you're sucking the material possessions that you have dry of their life and you're still wanting life, right? It's one because maybe you haven't come underneath and received Jesus and it might be too that you might have received Jesus at one time but you do not walk according to the will of the Father at all. This is still about you and what you want to do and how you want to do it. And I'm going to do this college thing until it sort of plays out and I have a kid and I want the kid to be raised well so I'll bring him to Sunday school, right? God is working something in history that is huge and crazy and beautiful and He's calling humanity to be a part of it. And so we either do that or we don't. And there's only life in one place. The rest of it is searching for life and then getting close to it to find out this doesn't give me life at all and then you fall on your face. And so I would say the other intentional application is very sensitively, very gently, has there been a time when you submitted yourself to the will of the Father and said, not my kingdom, your kingdom, not my will, your will. Has there been a time when that was, when that was intentionally done just with words, right? It's huge. The problem with that one is you've got to do it every morning. Because every night, for some reason, my will takes over and I wake up wanting to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And it takes me. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth every day. Right? So I say if that's not intentional, if these are not things that you interact with the Father and the Son about, it's time to interact with the Father and the Son about. Okay, so next week we're going to hit the Holy Spirit and then we'll tie up what we call Trinitarian balance, being in right relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.